Good morning, church family. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 this morning. A special thank you to my brother last week for preaching for us. I know uh, many of you were very nice and, uh, and sent many messages talking about how uh, much you were encouraged by that, and I was as well. Thankful to have a brother in Christ who is also a pastor and gifted in preaching God's word. Uh, but as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians 5, I want to introduce you to somebody who will be assisting us this morning. His name is Matthew Henry. And for those of you who don't know who that is, Matthew Henry was an English Puritan who ministered at the end of the 17th century and the beginning of the 18th century. And he's, he's probably best known for his commentary on the whole Bible. Uh, he, it's published and it's even used today throughout the whole world. Uh, however, Matthew Henry also published a book titled A Method for Prayer. It's a classic work on prayer, which has gone through more than 30 editions in 150 years. And so in 1712, he also preached sermons that were directions for daily communion with God. Both of those books and those resources really demonstrate that Matthew Henry had a passion for biblical spirituality. And his insight to the significance of prayer in the Christian's life is worth understanding well. Therefore, unapologetically, Matthew Henry is going to help serve as a guide and teacher this morning as we consider Paul's exhortation in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. I also think this is a tremendously beneficial thing for our parents to hear on the day of our baby dedication. Uh, I know, I was thinking back this week on the, uh, the blessings of God. Uh, me and my brother actually were having this conversation about how God has blessed us uh, to be pastors and how yet we're just sinful, wretched people. How in the world did has God used us in this way? And, and we both attested it back to, to understand that we were raised in a culture with praying people. Uh, both of our grandmothers on my mom's side and my dad's side are prayer warriors. And we know that God has used those prayers faithfully. And so part of dedicating children to be raised under the knowledge of Christ and under the authority of of, of the church uh, is understanding that we are charged to pray for these parents, uh, to pray for them and to pray without ceasing. And so um, here we go. We're praying without ceasing this morning. I'm going to read verses 15 through 22 of our text. We're going to pray and then we'll jump in earnestly. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 15 through 17. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not grieve the Spirit. Uh, quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. First Baptist Church, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Gracious Father, Lord, we always come to you in prayer before we attempt to preach this, your word. Father, how much more an attempt to explain what your word says in regarding to this topic of praying without 
ceasing. I'm greatly, Lord, encouraged this morning as I've learned much from this passage this week, and I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to help everyone who is listening here, to hear with their ears, to understand with their hearts, to be transformed by this exhortation, Lord, not only as a command to pray without ceasing, but that we might come to a deeper understanding of our communion with the true and living God. Father, would you please grant us grace upon grace to meet with your people now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, Matthew Henry once wrote this. What's heaven but an everlasting access to God and present access is a pledge of it. This life of communion with God and constant attendance upon him is a heaven upon earth. That's interesting. I, I think he's right. And I'm hoping by the end of this sermon that you'll understand just a little bit better why that is so. By the way, uh, you should have uh, in, on your This Week at Gray Gables blog uh, a bulletin that has copies of all the quotes that I'll be reading from Matthew Henry. Uh, if you don't have them, uh, make sure you can pause this and go look at that so you can follow along. I think it's worth having those in front of you this morning. Uh, one of the essential elements of this access to God is prayer. If everlasting access to God is, in a sense, heaven, and if the present access to God is a pledge of it, then my contention or assertion this morning is that prayer is an essential element of that access to God. And so it's no wonder that Paul exhorts the Thessalonians and all believers to pray without ceasing. Obviously, that's the big idea of this morning's text, right? Christians should pray without ceasing. Christians should pray without ceasing. As God's people, we must be a people that pray without ceasing. Uh, Matthew Henry taught that praying without ceasing requires us to pursue a life of prayer, a life lived for and before our God. After all, prayer is about living in communion with God, uh, in constant recognition of, desire for, and participating in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is so much more than simply speaking some words once or twice a day, and, and I pray that you would grow and understand to see that. Uh, Matthew Henry wrote three discourses to uh, help young Christians in his generations toward that end. And in those three discourses, Henry encouraged or exhorted Christians that to pray without ceasing, they need to begin the day with God, spend the day with God, and close the day with God. To me, that sounds just like 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And so we're going to use that as our outline as we grow to understand what each of those mean. First, we begin the day with God. We begin the day with God. How many of you would consider yourselves morning people? Yeah, I am a morning person one day a week, and it's on Sunday morning. Every other day of the week, uh, I begin my day thanking God for the sweet nectar of coffee. That is 
uh, modern day manna from heaven that uh, causes me to function as an actual human being, right? Uh, But David was a morning person. In fact, in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, he says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. Uh, In the morning I will direct it to you. Uh, Paul exhorts us to pray without ceasing, so it seems reasonable that if we are to pray without ceasing, it must begin at the beginning of the day. But Matthew Henry spends a majority of this first discourse entitled, Beginning the Day with God, motivating the people of God to start their day with God. The first reason he gives on why we ought to start our day with God is because faith compels us. We pray because faith compels us to pray. What does he mean by that? Faith compels us to pray. Well, when we come to see God through the eyes of faith, when we see God as he really is, we will pray. When we come to know God as great, glorious, holy, majestic, beautiful, matchless in his perfections, unspotted in his purity and righteousness, always just, always true, our creator, our benefactor, and our ruler, inexhaustibly good and greater than all our best praises, when we come to know God is Father and as Father through Christ by his Spirit, we will pray. Our faith is a praying faith because it's a communing faith. We have a relationship with this one we are talking to. Our faith has brought us into fellowship with the true and living God. And so that communion, it demands, compels us to pray. It's a firm conviction that we have a new relationship with God. We actually considered that two weeks ago when we considered the exhortation to rejoice always, didn't we? The reason for our abiding joy is the very same thing that is at the root for our desire to pray without ceasing. Do you remember what that was? The reason for our abiding joy is that we have been reconciled to the Father. We have been reconciled to the Father through the work of Christ, and we have his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. This is the very same reason why we pray. We pray because we've been reconciled to the Father, and we now have access to him as our loving Father who invites us into his special presence through prayer. Think about that. That's amazing. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God of the universe bears witness with our spirit that we should be called children of God. And so according to Henry, that access that Christians have with God as their father through Christ means that they have a companion ready in all of their solitudes and that they are never less alone than when alone. Do we need better society than fellowship with the Father? Did you hear what he just said? That's amazing to me. A companion ready in all of our solitudes so that we are never less alone than when we are alone. You say, well, that doesn't make sense, Pastor Cody, and I get that. Uh, you might think, I'm, I'm, uh, if I'm gathered with God's people, how could I possibly be a- alone? Well, I say, amen, we're certainly not alone when we're in the company of one another, yet there is a sense in which when we're around other people, we are always at least partially distracted. We are never less alone than when we are alone with God. 
That is purposefully setting our mind on him, meditating on his majesty and on his beauty, contemplating the the gloriousness of this gospel, thinking about all the benefits we have from knowing Christ and the primary one being a relationship with God as our father. Not only this, but, but listen to what Matthew Henry says. He says, the access that Christians have to God in Christ gives them a counselor ready in all of their doubts. A guide who has promised to direct with his eye to lead us in the way wherein we should go. A comforter ready in all their sorrows to support sinking spirits and be the strength of a fainting heart. A supply ready in all their wants. They that have access to God have access to a full fountain, an inexhaustible treasure, a rich mine, a support ready under all their burdens. They have access to him as Adonai, my Lord, my stay and the strength of my heart. A shelter ready in all their dangers. A city of refuge near at hand. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Strength ready for all their performances in doing work, fighting work. He is their arm every morning. Salvation ensured by a sweet and undeceiving earnest. If he thus guides us by his counsel, he will receive us to glory. And friends, we pray... Because we believe that. Or we don't pray because we don't believe that. that. That's the reality. And I think it boils down to the question of where does your help come from? Really, I, I don't mean the answer that you think you should say out loud right now in your living room or wherever you're listening to this. But where does your help really come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. So, so think about how this practically lays out in our life. I mean, do you doubt the precious promises of God? Think about it. Do you doubt his precious promises? We see all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Bible, that if we pray to God as our Father, with Christ as our mediator, according to the revealed will of the Bible, that he will hear us and answer us according to his kindness. So we must be a people that prays. For his promises are many and our confidence is great because it does not rest in us, it rests in him. But it's not only Uh, because faith compels us. That's not not the only reason we begin the day when praying with the Lord. We also pray simply because our Father requires it. We pray because our Father requires it. Hear me. Our passage is an example of that, right? The Bible clearly mandates pray. In fact, without ceasing, this is a command It's not some should pray, or if you ever need anything, then pray, or some are going to have the gift of praying and others won't. No, Paul wrote, pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Each and every, all of you. But of course, one might argue that begs the question, why does an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God require his people to pray? Has he not already ordained all things? 
Well, God requires us to pray to remind us of his authority and that he is a loving and compassionate father. Listen, even when the answer seems clear and reason seems sufficient, we pray to God because he is our master and our father. Uh, Isn't it true in most households, children are taught or told that they need to ask their parents to grant them permission before they go off doing X, Y, or Z? I mean, if you don't practice that in your household, you ought to practice that in your household. Even when the answer is most certainly yes, children should still ask their parents for permission before they do anything. Um, They should. Because you're their authority. They recognize and understand that, so they ask for permission. They recognize and understand that, so they come to you when they are in need. Why? Because you are their parents, you are their protector, you are their provider. And if that's true with us, how much more is it true of our Father God? And listen, let me tell you something. I don't need to hear an audible reply from my Father to know that prayer is a time well spent. When I'm seeking him, when I'm asking for guidance, when I'm asking him for anything, when I'm petitioning him or, or asking him to intercede on my behalf or on the behalf of someone else, I don't need to hear an audible reply to know that, to justify my time spent with my father. Why? Because part of the reason why I need to pray is because it reminds me that my father is the one who's in charge. My father is the one who has all authority. My father is the one who is sovereign and he does hear my prayers and will answer them according to his kindness. Praying reorientates me. It shapes and forms my worldview because even my prayers have been ordained by God and as such they are instruments that he will use to bring things to pass. Uh, even more so it is through the, the pr- our prayers that God's people are transformed. Listen, a praying people pray because they believe that God is God. A not praying people don't pray because they fail to believe that God is God. Listen, I I am so tempted all the time to forget that there is not a quadrant of my life, not one whatsoever. There is not an area, a task, a role, a sphere of my life that God does not concern himself with. Work, whether the small, seemingly insignificant decision I make, whether they're right or wrong, may very well depend on whether or not I am a praying person. Do I believe that God is present with me at work? Well, have I prayed? Then probably not. Family, am I going to be a patient, loving father and husband, or will I be self-serving and cruel, harsh with my kids and my wife, Am I a praying father? Am I a praying husband? Recreation, do I entertain myself with things that honor the Lord or do I entertain myself with things that honor me, that feed the passions of my flesh, that dishonor the Lord? Well, do I pray about my recreation or have I failed to see that God is present even in that Don't you see how every quadrant of life is lived under the rule of God? And we say we know that, and yet we are not a praying people. I say those two things are contradictory, that it can't be so. Listen, I want you to hear this unceasing prayer. 
is an unceasing reminder that we have unceasing communion with the Father through Christ by his Holy Spirit. I'll say that again because I know it's a run-on sentence. That's okay. Unceasing prayer is an unceasing reminder that we have unceasing communion with the Father through Christ by his Holy Spirit. Uh, A man named Mark Jones, who did a lot of work on Matthew Henry's sermons, he summarizes Henry's teaching this way. He says, you always have something to talk to God about, don't you? He is a dear friend, so it's a pleasure to know him personally and to walk with him intimately. He is also Lord over you and over everything that touches your life. Shall a servant not talk to his master? Shall a dependent not talk to his provider? Shall one in danger not converse with his defender? Friends, let me ask you, do you find yourself burdened throughout the week? Do you find yourself anxious or in need? Do you find yourself rejoicing at something good that has transpired in your life? Do you find yourself with any want? Do you find yourself with any joy? In each and every situation, you find yourself in a situation where you're afforded an opportunity to go to your Father in prayer, thanking Him or pleading with him. Listen, God does not need your prayers to accomplish his plan for your life. But hear me, you need your prayers to experience the communion with your father that you were created to enjoy. You need the prayers. You need prayers to experience that communion that you have, God, as your Father. Could it be that we lack the experience of that communion and the reason we lack it is due to a lack of our prayers? Due to negligence? Listen to me. I, I want to be clear here. Um, I, I'm not saying, we, we know that the value of the treasure that we have, uh, you know, the, the value of having a fellowship with God as our Father through Christ the value of all the promises we've obtained in the gospel, the value of these things is not determined by our experience of them. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, Like if you got a $100 bill in your pocket, uh, that's not any less valuable because you forgot it was there, right? It's still worth $100. Well, so in the same way, we know that it is not our emotional experience that impacts the value of that which we have in Christ. But if our experience of that value or our lack of experience of that value is due to our neglect, then we've got to confess. Our Father, our God is a Father who loves to forgive His children. We need to come to Him and confess that we have lacked the experience of valuing this treasure that we have in fellowship with Him and asking Him that He would cause us to be more faithful in coming to Him in prayer. Matthew Henry also taught this. He said, the target of our prayer is always God's glory. The target of our prayer is always God's glory. And and then he, he uses this analogy of an archer who focuses in on his target. and He's got one eye closed to the rest of the world, all the distractions of the rest of the world. And, and, and he's transfixing one eye upon God's glory. I think that's a helpful picture. Henry writes, he says, let not self, carnal self, be the spring and center of your prayers. But God, 
Let the eye of the soul be fixed upon him as your highest end in all your application to him and let this be your design in all your desires that God may be glorified. By this, let them all be directed, determined, sanctified, and when need is, overruled. Do you catch what he said there? In other words, when that which you desire Um, to do, even if you don't understand it, when that which you desire does not seem to align with the glory of God, then you must transform that desire so that the desires of your hearts are God's desires. That's what he's saying. And here's the beauty about that. I know that sounds wordy and incredibly difficult, but here's the beauty about this. The glory of God is not opposed to our own self-interest. Do you know that? The glory of God is not opposed to our self-interest in any way, shape, or form. Instead, it is inextricably intertwined with it. God's glory is our best interest, so we are never more happy or more blessed or have greater reasons for rejoicing than when we are closest to God and honoring Him and glorifying Him the most with our lives. These things are not opposed to one another at all. So so that the target of our prayers is not only God's glory, it's actually our own true happiness as well. Not necessarily what the flesh desires, but our own true happiness because God has been pleased to twist these things together so that in seeking his glory, what we're really doing is effectually seeking our own true happiness. Oh, if we were to believe that with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, it is in our best interest to bring God glory. So faith compels us to pray, and our Father requires our prayers, and God's glory is the aim and goal of our prayers, and our prayers should begin in the beginning. Matthew exhorts us, Henry exhorts us, he says, Just as the burnt offerings was offered every morning in Israel, just as singers thank the Lord every morning, in the same way, we who are spiritual priests in Christ should offer our spiritual sacrifices every morning to God. Makes sense to me, right? Begin the day with God. We should strive to give God the first fruits of our day. And for many of us, let's be honest, that's the best part of our day. I know not all of us are morning people. That's okay. But I'll tell you this, the examples of Scripture, they abound with people who lift their voices up to the Lord in prayer and in praise at the very first thing in the morning. Chief among them, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, Now in the morning, having risen a long, time, a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So, so here's the deal. Praying without ceasing involves beginning our day with God. Do you begin the day with God? It also requires us to spend the day with God. Not only do we begin the day with God, but we also spend the day with God. Again, David writing in the Psalms, he says this in Psalm 25 verse 5, For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Matthew Henry actually explained this waiting upon the Lord involves two things. 
uh, a patient expectation that carries us along throughout the day. God is at work in the midst of our circumstances. So we've got a patient expectation and a constant attendance. We are attending to the Lord. We are cognizant of his presence, of the spiritual reality that goes beyond our sight, hearing, and feeling. In fact, according to Matthew Henry, he said, to wait on God is to live a life of desire towards him, delight in him, dependence on him, and devotedness to him. Did you hear that? We should delight, our lives should be marked by a delight and a desire for God. And even just those two points, I feel like are a tremendous struggle for us. At least I think so. I really do. That we really are delighting in him as our highest portion and our greatest good. That we're cultivating constant and fervent delight in him as our God, a desire for him. I, I, now listen, I certainly don't want to create any unnecessary guilt. And I certainly don't want uh, to bind anyone's conscience with extra biblical commands or ideas. So hear what I'm saying and only what I'm saying. But I really have struggled with this very idea over the last month or so. I, I really have. I could be completely off. This couldn't apply to you at all. But I think much of our struggle in growing in our desire for God and cultivating a delight in God is that we are far too easily distracted. I mean, I mean God is just a little something we add on the top of our very, very busy lives. A little God in the morning, and then maybe a little some point of the day when something goes wrong, and then maybe once before I go to bed. That's it. We are so distracted, and I think, I think that certainly we are entirely too comfortable. The reality is, you, you might think this is weird, talking so much about a guy who lived in the 17th and 18th century, a Puritan, Matthew Henry, but you read some of the writings of the saints of old like this, and you think, man, the spiritual fervor, the passion, and the love. There is a true yearning for God in all of his glory, a desire for the return of Christ. And then you read their biographies, <laughs> Matthew Henry, his first wife, died along with his son. He lost three other children from his second wife. And you think, yeah, we're way too comfortable. We actually believe that this life is supposed to be good and comfortable all the time. And when it's not, our world offers us a really quick fix. And so there's no room for desiring God. There's no room for longing for his return, for longing for him to come and make all things new. We need to be careful. As Mark Jones put it this way, listen to this, this is amazing. He says, we should spend our days desiring God like a beggar constantly looking to his benefactor, hungering not only for his gifts, but for the one who is the bread of life. We should live in delight of God like a lover with his beloved. We must wait on God every day, both in public worship on the Lord's day and in the work of our callings on weekdays. We must wait on him in the days of prosperity when the world smiles on us and in the days of adversity when the world frowns on us. We must lean on him in the days of youth and in the days of old age. Are you burdened with cares? Cast them on the Lord. Do you have responsibilities to fulfill? 
in your business do you know that God has assigned you this calling and employment and requires that you work according to the precepts of his word? God alone can bless your efforts and the glory of God should be the ultimate goal of all your work. Are you tempted to follow another way? Shelter yourself under his grace. Are you suffering? Submit to his will and trust the love behind his fatherly corrections. Is your mind caught up in hopes or fears about the future? Wait on God who rules over life and death good and evil. Henry's writings show us that every minute of every day contains ample reasons to look to the Lord. Now, I know that prayer is not mentioned specifically in that long quote I just read, but that quote is speaking about a life that is born out of prayer. And and hear me, this is what Paul is after in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. This is what praying without ceasing is. I don't think, again, that Paul's simply using hyperbolic language here. Just like he wasn't in when he said rejoice always. Nor do I think Paul's got this unrealistic expectation that God's people are to spend every moment of every day physically on their knees in prayer. We're not all just to go off and become monks, right? And this is not only a command just for the spiritually elite to strive and obey this particular mandate. No, what Paul is saying is live Every moment as though you are in the presence of God. And when you do so, and you know God as your father, you will speak to him. You will. Everything you encounter, you know God is there. And so you will go to him in the good and in the bad and in every situation. The bottom line, friends, is every day we should search for abundant reasons for prayer and praise. That's really at the heart of spending the day with God. Every day we should search, be looking for abundant reasons for prayer and praise. That's just a concrete application for those who need a concrete application, and and I know many of you do. Every day, wherever you go, wherever you are, constantly be looking for an opportunity to pray. Constantly be looking for abundant reasons to pray a prayer of of praise. Saying, Father, thank you for this. Father, please help them with this. Father, glorify yourself in this. That is praying without ceasing. As James wrote in James 5.13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. That pretty much covers all of life, doesn't it? When things are going bad, cry out to the Lord for help. When things are going well, cry out to the Lord with praise. Pray without ceasing. So we should begin our day with God. We should spend our day with God. And we should close the day with God. We should close the day with God. We're going to go through this relatively quickly. Again, David in Psalm chapter 4 verse 8 says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's beautiful. Henry explained our days end in contentment if we have the Lord as our God. Our days end in contentment if we have the Lord our God. Do you know what that means? Do you know how many times you stay up at night because you're worried about so-and-so? What an opportunity to pray, right? 
Close your day with God. Close your day with contentment in your status of who God is. Henry says this, he says, let this still every storm, command and create a calm in thy soul. Having God to be our God in covenant, we have enough. We have all, and though the gracious soul still desires more of God, it never desires more than God in him. It reposeth himself itself with a perfect complacency. In him it is at home. It is at rest. Not only does Matthew Henry say we need to, uh, our days should end with contentment if the Lord is our God, but he also goes on and encourages us to say our days should end in thanksgiving to God. Our days should end in thanksgiving to God. He exhorts us to review, as we lay our heads down at sleep, uh, we review God's mercies and provisions at the close of the day. Again, that's very practical, isn't it? Uh, Before you lay your head down on your pillow, review the mercies of God each and every day. Henry says, every bite we eat and every drop we drink is mercy. Every step we take and every breath we draw, mercy. Thank God for that. And listen, I I love this one because if if you know God and you know yourself, then you should have no difficulty at all coming up with a thousand concrete reasons for which you need to thank him each and every day, specifically at the end of each and every day. Henry also encourages not only should our days end with contentment or thanksgiving to God, but our days should end with confession to God. Confession to God. We should reflect upon our sin at night with a repentant heart. He encourages us to examine our consciences for specific transgressions of the law. Mark Jones explains it this way. He says, Henry taught us continually to plead for repentance with godly sorrow, making fresh application of the blood of Christ to our souls for forgiveness and drawing near to the throne of grace for peace and pardon each night. Man, I I know so many people right now that are having trouble sleeping at night. And can I just tell you, even just, this this last one's going to be interesting, but even just those first three, right, uh, of contentment with God, praying for contentment with God, uh, ending our day being content with who he is, that's going to come through prayer, giving thanksgiving to God, just listing the ways that God has shown you mercy that just that day. Uh, And then confessing to God, reviewing your sin and asking God to expose your sin and confessing that to him. That's a lot. Uh, That's enough time to give you peace. But listen to this last one. This one is very interesting. Henry wrote this and I love this. He said, bedtime also offers an opportunity to reflect upon both our mortality and our Christian hope. That doesn't necessarily sound like something you want to go to bed thinking about, right? But listen to what he says. He says, our days should end with reflections upon our mortality and Christian hope. How many of you currently do that right before you go to bed? Before you put your head on the pillow, you think, well, you know what? This is a good reminder of what death will be like. It sounds a little morbid, right? Uh, For those of us who know Christ, though, listen to me, there should be and there can be great comfort in that. This isn't something that creates anxiety in us before we go to sleep. 
It should be something that actually brings us great comfort. That listen, my trials and my tribulations, my striving, my struggling, all of my toil, it has a shelf life to it. Uh, It will come to an end, and I can meditate on that before I go to bed. You know, I was telling Pastor Justin this week, uh, one of the things that kept me up at night when I was really uh, having unconfessed sin in my heart and struggling and doubting with whether or not I was a Christian was thinking about my own death. But, but when I'm walking with the Lord, one of the things that is the most peaceful to me to think about is going to bed thinking about glory. <laughs> going to bed thinking about being able to not have to deal with this sin anymore. Not having to deal with this physical broken body. Not having to deal with pain or suffering anymore. It is one of the most peaceful reminders. It lulls me to sleep like a baby to think about the time I can go be with the Lord Jesus. Mark Jones explains this. He says, just as we take off our clothes at night, so we will put off this body until we receive a new one on the morning of Christ's return. Just as we lie down in our beds to rest, so we will lie down in death to rest in Christ's presence where no nightmares can trouble us. Henry's focus on death was not unhealthy morbidity but a realistic consideration in a fallen world where many people die each day with or without the Christian hope that extends beyond this life to eternal glory. And church, we know that. Listen to me. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another moment. You have now and each day at the end of the day to thank God for the day you just received. You lay your head on your pillow and you meditate upon the fact that death is coming. But we who belong to Christ, we know that it is far better to be with the Lord than to be in this body. And it's far better still when Christ returns and gives us an imperishable body. When pain and death and sin will be done away with forever. That is our gospel hope. Why should we not want to go to sleep meditating on such beautiful realities? Henry suggested that we might fall asleep with thoughts such as these. He says this, a last quote, I promise. He says, to thy glory, O God, I now go to sleep. Whether we eat or drink, yea, or sleep, for this is included in whatever we do, we must do it to the glory of God. To thy grace, O God, to the word of thy grace, I now commend myself. It is good to fall asleep with a fresh surrender of our whole selves, body, soul, and spirit to God. (coughs) Excuse me. Now return to God as I rest, O my soul, for he has dealt bountifully with thee. Oh, that when I awake, I may still be with God, that the parentheses of sleep, though long, may not break off the thread of my communion with God, but that as soon as I awake, I may resume it. I love that. Going to sleep completely cognizant of and glorifying in our fellowship that we have with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we have communion with God through Christ, thanking him for it and recognizing that it is our joy to wake up the next morning and continue in that communion with him. Let me bring this to a conclusion. This is really at the heart of what Paul says here, praying without ceasing. We, because of the work of Christ, have communion with the true and living God. 
the maker of the heavens and earth, the creator of all things. Prayer is just one essential element of that communion. Sweet fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our prayer life is a reflection of our confidence in that fellowship. Therefore, we begin every day, we spend every day, and we close every day with God. Or as Paul put it, we pray without ceasing. May the Lord make us a people that cultivate an ever-growing recognition of and desire for heaven on earth through our communion with God. May we learn to pray without ceasing. Let's do that now. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, Lord, this is our prayer that by your grace we'd be mindful of these things, that we would consider that our faith, what we believe about you, compels us to pray, that you would require it of us for our own good, that, Lord, we would desire you enough to live a life that pursues you in prayer. Would you make it so in our lives, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the application is, is pretty clear uh, for what it means to pray without ceasing. But I just want to encourage, maybe you are one of those who was like me, um, and, and you have trouble sleeping when you think about your own death, when you think about whether or not you really are headed to heaven, whether or not you really know the Lord Jesus as king, as, uh, whether or not you really have communion with him as a father, you've been reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. If that's you, you have any doubts of such things, please, I, I want to hear about that. I, I just want to pray for you, and I want to love on you and share Christ with you. This is not something we can afford to get wrong. The question is whether or not we have true communion and fellowship with God as our Father. What is your status before the Father? Because there's only two roads here. You are either the Father's enemy or you are his adopted son through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so if you don't know where you stand there, I can't encourage you enough to reach out to Pastor Justin and myself. Uh, we would have love to have an opportunity to pray with you and minister to you about those realities. I love you, church family. Uh, can't wait to hear from you and see you hopefully soon. Praying for you every week. Have a blessed, blessed Sunday. We love you.